I want to start this episode off with a quick thought. Today, we dive into a church documentary that aired a few weeks ago. And while we don't agree with all the points made in the documentary, nor did we provide any assistance in the making of it, we do feel it's important to discuss the documentary and learn from it. None of the people you'll hear from today have full understanding of what it's like to be in Brian Houston's shoes, Carl Lentz's shoes, or even those sharing their story in the documentary, or even anyone at Hillsong Church or on their staff. None of us have understanding fully of intent or even goals of those individuals. However, we do want to try and learn from their behavior. We want to get better. This episode isn't intended to bring down a church nor the Christian movement. After all, everyone you hear from today believes strongly in the church and serves in a church. What we do want to do is bring honesty to this world that is currently dealing with a lack of trust in church leadership. This podcast has always been intended to support the hurting, not the ones causing the hurt. It's meant to expose the darkness and build up the church long-term. Every lie we tell incurs a debt to the truth. And sooner or later, that debt will be paid. I hope you enjoy episode five of Hope After Hurt. This is Hope After Hurt, a yes podcast. We talk about church hurt, stories of disappointment, and the future of community. With the goal of healing from past pains, inspiring hope for the future, and building a better leader for generations to come. Join this community created for healing, hope, and heroes. Now your host, a pastor's kid who has served everywhere from startups to some of the largest churches in the world, Drew Barker. Let's go. It's the Yes Podcast where we're saying yes to what God has next. And hey, do you want a free t-shirt? Who doesn't love free things and who doesn't want a free t-shirt? Here's how you can do that. If you're listening right now, what I want you to do is I want you to share this podcast on any social media platform and I want you to tag me in it. Tag Drew Barker. So you got to share the podcast and then tag me on any social media platform, and that's going to enter you into an opportunity to win a free T-shirt from me to you just for listening, just my way of saying thanks for listening. Also, I want to share with you some great news, just a really awesome, huge announcement here. We just signed on for a 20-episode sponsorship. 20 episodes. So, hey, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, great news. We're not stopping anytime soon. And I'm so excited, but, but I want to thank you because what that means is you have done such a great job of downloading, sharing, writing reviews, passing this along to your friends and listening and just being a great supporter of this podcast. And that's led to a 20 episode sponsorship. So I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for being along this journey with us. And uh, thank you for your partnership. Thank you for your support. And uh, I'm glad that we're growing and getting better together. As you heard earlier in my opener, we're going to dive into the Hillsong documentary that aired just a few weeks ago. I've got a lot of special guests and a lot of interesting topics to discuss. And whether you've seen the documentary or you haven't, I know that you're going to get some great knowledge from this episode. Let's dive in. First and foremost, thank you to, to everyone that's listening and thank you to those that are joining in on the discussion. And so let's just take a second 
and introduce yourself. Let everybody know who you are, what you do, where you're from, all that good stuff. And Tim, let's start with you, bud. Hey, Drew. Thanks for having me on. My name is Tim Ferrara. I'm an executive pastor at LifePoint Church in Santan Valley. I also have an online ministry. I'm called Discerning Dad on social media, and I have a podcast called Eyes on Jesus, and I have a couple books as well. Awesome. Trevor, what about you, bud? Hey, Trevor Ashley, lead pastor of Radical Church in Kyle, Texas, just south of Austin. We played it in 2020, so it has been crazy. It's been great. God's been good and done everything from social media marketing to young adults, youth, worship, and uh, now God, God has me just doing all of this. I'm excited to be here. Thanks, man. That's great. You bet. Thanks for joining. And Cam? Oh, my name's Cam Pop. I am a student teaching pastor at a church in Peoria, Arizona. And I got to tell you, as I was thinking about uh, this podcast, I felt like that scene in Napoleon Dynamite when uh, he asked the pretty girl to prom. So I'm just excited to be here. That's all I am. I'm, I'm just excited to be here at this point. Uh, thank you for inviting me to that show. I love it, man. And, and obviously we got Joe here in the studio with us, man. Thank you guys so much just for taking time out of your day to be a part of this. As we've mentioned to our listeners out there and as we've talked this week, we want to not really dive into specific moments if, unless it's called for of the Hillsong documentary that was released a few weeks ago, but we do want to discuss it and what we've learned from it. And I guess one of the things that, that I've been thinking about, and I'm wondering if you could shed some light on this, was there any moment in the documentary that surprised you? Man, I would say the part where that one line that, that, Carl said when they were talking about the, the couple that was basically chastised for uh, having premarital sex. And right. then he said, didn't use protection. They said, yes. And he said, then obviously it was premeditated. I was like, yo, that is cold. <laughs> that is cold blooded. He set them up for that one. And that one, when I heard that for the first time, I went back and rewatched it again, but I heard that and I was like, man, that is, uh, that's a deep cut right there. I mean, he set him up and set him up for that one, two punch. And that was pretty rough. So hearing that one, that was, that was pretty tough for me because that's just one of those things that's, man, how upset do you have to be to, to set them up like that and then to just knock them out at their lowest point, they're coming to you as this couple and you're supposed to be their spiritual authority, spiritual mentor, and like, hey, we're coming to you for help. And then instead just knocks them out. And so that one really shocked me. That was pretty scary. Yeah, for sure. Anybody else? I was surprised by the lavish lifestyle people like Carl Lentz had lived and the amount of celebrities, the amount of TV interviews they had, and just some of the pictures that he was in, some of the things he wore. And I was just thinking throughout the whole thing, like he lived at such an extreme lifestyle. It's like if I drove my car at 120 miles per hour, I might be able to survive for a while, but eventually I'm going to crash. And at some point he was setting himself up to fail. And in sure enough, he did. And we don't know how many times he failed, but we know for sure at the end, it caught up with him. And I also use the analogy with some people I talked to where if I had to go to church every day, I work at church, I'm a pastor at church. If I had to go to church, but I had to walk through a strip club to get to church, I'm just setting myself up to fail. I might be good for a while, but eventually that's going to get to me instead of going around the strip club to get to church, which yeah. makes more sense. And so I think he lived a lifestyle that he was setting himself up to fail. That's really, that's really a good point. We don't want to, we don't want to hug the line of sin. We want to be 
away from the line. And it's fascinating to bring up kind of the lavish lifestyle. I remember the interview he was having where he's wearing the Supreme sweatshirt that was right. retailing for like 15 grand. And I'm like, how do you discuss mini like mission partners and ministry partners and like the impact you're having and what God's doing through you? And you're in, bro, you're standing next to Bieber, which is fine. Like you want to stand next to Bieber. Cool. But we're in a $15,000 sweatshirt. Like I can't relate to you. Now you're, now you want to talk about like celebrity pastor. Now you are that to me because mm -hmm. I can't relate to that. I have nothing in my closet that's $15,000. So it really does drive a little bit of a wedge in, um, in your ability to really yep. start. Cam, what about you? to just that lavish lifestyle. I did a wedding for a buddy of mine a couple of weeks ago and he ended up wanting me to wear his Yeezys while I performed it. And so I had them. And then after the wedding, I put them in my bag and I've had them for a few weeks. And so I asked him, yo, can I preach in them this past weekend? And it was funny because I, po I, I posted a picture of, hey, and I tagged, hey, I'm borrowing my friend's shoes. It wasn't, you know, mine because I think $50 shoes from Ross are expensive. And I don't even post when I go to Olive Garden with my family in case people think I'm living too lavishly. Okay, dude. Well, those breadsticks bread are free. Soup, and salads? Come on now. The anointing. And I had a few people reach out. Be careful. Preachers and sneakers are going to get you. And it's obviously they, they said it in tongue and cheek because they were all <laughs> preachers and pastors. So I guess understanding Hillsong, the antics of the la the lavish lifestyle was not something to me that was surprising. I think I've been tuned enough of the way that culture works. That's one thing. The one thing that really got my blood going was the way that their HR handled the claims of the young woman who was um, assaulted at that one dinner. And as if it happened months later, very low empathy. And I also understand the struggle because now this dude who did this thing to her his dad is the head of HR for the entire Hillsong. And so there's a power dynamic that I find to be incredibly dysfunctional as well as uh, intimidating for young women to come out and speak about what has happened, which caused her a long time to do it. And then the fact that they did nothing until the dad showed up. I wasn't surprised by much, but that got my blood going a little bit, especially because I've got daughters. And so for me, that's one of those things that I'm sure. surprised by. And I'll, come on, what is happening? Right. For sure. That's a good point. And Joe, I know you mentioned something that surprised you from a standpoint of all the LLCs. We were talking yeah. about this beforehand, but, but dive into that a little bit. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think we're living in an age where not a lot of it surprised me, but the, the thing that got me was when they mentioned they read off, there was like that tax accountant guy and he was like, here's all their LLCs and all the different limited liability corporations that they had that divided up basically right. their culpability in any situation so that you couldn't really go after them. So if somebody really wanted to do a big lawsuit against them, there's not enough money anywhere to sustain a big lawsuit. And I was like, geez, that made me, that gave me a whole nother train of thought, but we can dive into that later. No, I, I think that's right. The, the thing they mentioned was church, concerts, CDs, college, cinema, conference. Yeah, all their revenue right? streams. And, yeah. and one of the things they talked about was how brilliant of a business model this is. And here's the challenge though, and I'd love for you guys to speak to this. The challenge is here we are 20 years later, okay? And we see people now having a hard time getting involved in church. We see people now having a hard time even coming to church because now we've created this, this comfortable environment where now I can watch from home and I can just do my own thing. And now we have this extremely consumer religion and we did it 
Like we did this. I think we'll look back on it as a church. Like I think in church history class, they'll look back on it and say something along the lines of, we thought this was a good plan. Like we're going to win cultures. We're going to be a part of what culture is doing. And then we realized that it was just mimicking the culture, which is what we should be countercultural, and we shouldn't right. have been involved in it at all. And history makes us all seem smart. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And again, we've talked about this, right? No better, do better. And hindsight's always, you know, 2020. So now how do we combat this? Because we've, and, and we have to take responsibility for it because one way, like we've been in it. We've created this consumer culture that this documentary very much highlighted. So like what? Now, what do we do? I was going to read because I had it pulled up here talking about the, the consumer culture bit of it. And I think the consumer culture part of it, and we talked about this briefly on air, but I'll just sum up our, our conversation real quick. It made me question after watching the documentary, like, man, should churches like this even get the tax exempt status if they're going to operate like a business and perform like a business? I'm not saying that churches shouldn't be told that they're not churches anymore, but that's another thing, like to, to the point of like somebody outside looking in, somebody that's not a church person. Another reason for them to get upset is these tax exempt things that we're taking advantage of. And we've all been involved in churches at various levels. Sure. I've been involved in, I know a guy that was, we were just chatting with him yesterday. Then this podcast was coming up. He was at a big church that recognizable national brand name church. Oh, that sounded gross saying it, but <laughs> national brand church, but no big uh, deal. But they didn't offer raises. They just bumped people to pastor status for the tax benefits Yep, because they didn't want to give people more money, but mm -hmm. they would give them the write-off. Yeah. There well, you go. I, I probably have a few different thoughts on that specifically when it comes to the tax exemption and things. The documentary did a really good job at two things. And I, I think there's two types of babies. Okay. So there's the church side and then there's the business side and they threw both out with the bathwater. And so they threw them both out. So what we end up finding is throughout the entire documentary, we actually hear very little stories of the actual life change at Hillsong did through the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. Rather, what we saw was a power-hungry mongrel of a businessman when it comes to Brian Houston, which was probably not his original intention. His original intention was to go plant churches in Australia. And so sure. it does a great job at saying all this money, $100 million coming in through Hillsong worship and those things. But then we don't ever hear Jesus talked about in the entire like documentary outside like three or four different times. And then when they end up comparing Hillsong with some, like a brand, they use Big Tobacco, which Big Tobacco versus Hillsong, which was this thing of, it says getting people hooked when they are young, but Apple does the same thing. Microsoft did the same thing. Soda companies do the same thing. Amazon does the same thing. And so they intentionally pick Big Tobacco to then co coordinate it and correlate it with a, a negative thing. Because most people, even smokers, don't like Big Tobacco for the most part. It's like, Everyone knows that is not a very healthy lifestyle. And so I found that to be rather unfair, even though what happened in these individual stories, we don't ever want to discount people's experiences, but because of one person or several people's experiences, sure. that doesn't tell the story of the entire experience. And so when people say, look what Carl Lentz did. Yeah, of course. I, I called that one five years ago with Joe Rogan. It's like Jordan in the paint was going to go in. But at the same time, this yeah, does good. add cannon fodder to those people who say, well, churches shouldn't have tax-exempt abilities 
simply because we're seeing one church in one area who has massive influence, don't get me wrong, abuse this and have a culture of abuse when it comes to financial stewardship. And so I just found that to be unfair, but I also understand where something yeah. can come from, but then having that conversation is more clarity. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I think to caveat what I was going to say, I think it should only apply like once they hit a certain tier. Maybe it should apply to their revenue income of worship. So if they have a massive LLC that's separate, that actually does, that we get into a whole different territory rather than the mega church who runs on tithes and offerings. If they have a separate LLC that has Hillsong worship that brings in X amount of dollars, well, maybe yes. But I would say when it comes to any church and its local tithes and offerings that we start dancing with a, uh, on a very thin line when it comes to that. But that's my opinion. I want to say too, that the churches are run like a business to a point, and that is going to happen because you have money coming in, you have sure. HR, you have uh, tax things. And so I think churches have to be run like a business to a point, and it has to be done ethically. And none of us can speak to how you would run a church as big as Hillsong. So a lot of us right. can't speak to the tax ramifications, the global impact, all that kind of stuff. But what I want to say about this documentary, similar to what Cam said, is that this documentary, you have to look at it with the lens of what it's trying to do. It's not trying to paint a, a picture of Hillsong in general. It has a very specific agenda. It's interviewing very specific people who have a story to tell. And a lot of them are, it's like a generic volunteer out of thousands. And what I'm thinking is if you were to interview every volunteer, how, what percent of them would think of their experience as positive? Are we looking at 20% negative, 80% positive? I don't know. But what I do know in the documentary is they handpick people who had a thing to say negative about Hillsong. And I would caution that if you do a documentary in just about any church of people that left, you could come up with a similar documentary of people that just want to tear down a church with their words. And that doesn't excuse anything that Hillsong did that was evil, which there was plenty of it. But also when you look at these documentaries, you can't ignore the fact that the impact they had through their worship and through their messages and through the life change of people through the Holy Spirit was significant for the kingdom. Yeah, that, that's 100% correct. I, I don't think you can discount that at all. And, and some of the things that were quoted really, even just in episode one, I, I felt I was part of the problem was one of the things one of the volunteers said, and I'm sitting there, oh my gosh, I've been there. Because you feel like, man, I'm, I'm maybe holding up something that needed to fall. And so maybe all the work that I put in, I spent pushing someone up on a pedestal that, that shouldn't have been there. There's a person that said they're trying to manipulate you into being okay with the hurt they cause. And it's, man, that's a really difficult thing to hear someone from the church say. They've obviously experienced some serious pain. I think there's good that came from Hillsong. And, and I speak about it like it's past tense. Like the church isn't done. Don't think for a second that I understand that Hillsong is probably going to see a decline in attendance, right? We're probably going to see some of that. But the reason that, that the church could keep going forward is great new leaders stepping up. And I really hope that happens. When one church or one pastor falls, everyone attached to the church feels the grief of it. Everyone. And that's why when churches enable willfully sinful behavior, catastrophic events follow. The whole reason I started this podcast is because I've been part of, unfortunately, multiple churches, multiple leaders that have fallen in one way or another, or just gone to extremely interesting approaches in their leadership. And when the mantle falls, that debris falls over 
everyone. It falls over staff. It falls over volunteers. It spreads throughout. So how do we now in, seated in the positions we are, we just went around the room. All of us are part of churches. Like, how do we now look at that and keep running forward? Because if you're anything like me, you're like, oh my gosh, do I have to be perfect now? Yeah. Even I think it goes back for me even a little bit farther, even back to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And that was another thing that came out recently, obviously, about Mark Driscoll and all this stuff that happened there years ago. And, and the thing I think we need to remember as well is that's not the first time that's happened either, right? There's churches in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s. You could look back at all these different scandals and all this sure. A lot of the times I think you're younger leaders, we think, wow, I can't believe this is happening. It's, Man, this has been happening. It's oh, not yeah. like this is a new thing. And so and I heard a lot of people that are like, I'm not going to listen to that pod because, you know, I don't want to think bad about the church or I don't want to think bad about a guy who's still around. There's people that say that about this one. <laughs> Absolutely. But here's, here's my deal with that, though. I chose to listen to it knowing that there was an agenda. Same thing with the Hillsong documentary. I, but I listened to it for two reasons. And I think the first one is it's so important to listen to the stories of people that have genuinely been hurt by the church. So many times as pastors and leaders, we love to talk. Like we love having the mic in our hands. It's a gifting that God's given us to communicate. And so we tend to talk a lot of times before we listen. And so I think it's an important thing for us to just, hey, sit back and listen. Just stop talking for a second. Stop pushing on people what we think that they need to know and just say, hey, listen, how are you hurt? Can you just tell me your story? I just want to know. And stop trying to, in the back of your head, be like, I already have an answer for you when you tell me what it is that you're going to tell me, you know, just listen and just empathize with them. And the second part of that goes into, I wanted to listen to the rise of Paul Marshall. I wanted to watch this Hillsong documentary because I want to look within me and say, how am I like this? How am I like Mark Driscoll was? Is there anywhere in my leadership where I have this kind of problem? Anywhere where I have these faults within my leadership, with my ministry, even in my integrity, personally, am I failing in any of these same ways? And God help me if I'm ever going down that path, Lord help me to not go down that path and to lead better and to love people better. And so I think there's a lot to learn from those stories. Now at the same yes. time, I don't think we should just gossip and talk bad about people for the sake of talking about, like you said, we need to pray for Hillsong. We need to pray for guys like Mark Driscoll and Brian Houston and leaders that do have failings and moral failings, whether it's leadership failings, all these different kinds of things. We need to be praying for them that God would reconcile them because David uh, was a man after God's own heart. And we know how badly he messed up. Oh, yeah. He killed a guy, slept with his wife and killed him. Moses was a murderer. We can go through all kinds of people sure. the Bible, um, that messed up in big ways and yet God still used them. Does it excuse what they did? Absolutely not. Yet we can learn from them see how they moved on of what are the things that they had to do in order to get back in right standing with God and, and to be positioned in a good place of leadership. And so I'm looking at myself, I'm saying, hey, where am I messing up? And I think that's an important conversation that we all need to have. Yeah, that's a great point to bring in. And then Tim, I'm gonna let you jump in because I want to hear what you had to say there. You're exactly right. First of all, great job as a young leader. And I don't know how young you are, but let's just assume you're younger than me. Great job as a young leader, asking yourself that question. Like that gives me hope, like real talk, it does. Hearing you go, I need to look inside myself and see if I have the same tendencies, that gives me hope because here's the facts. Somewhere in you, you do. Somewhere in you, we all do. We all have something in us that's you're a bad person and you could make stupid mistakes. So you know what, you need accountability. 
You know what you need? People around you. You need support. You need, like, you, you got to have that, man, this idea that somebody can just run off with something and we're just going to follow that guy and they'll never mess up. They'll never disappoint us, all that stuff. First of all, incredible amount of pressure to put on someone. And secondly, they'll never live up to it. And so what we need is a group of people that are like, I recognize that I am vulnerable and that I need to be held accountable. And then the other thing is we've got to have a group of people that are willing to accept the consequences because yes. like one, okay. So my daughter's four. Okay. My daughter's four. One of the things that I tell her and I'm my plan, this is my dad mode. My, my plan is to tell her this for every day of her life. She can make any choice she wants, any choice. She can make any choice she wants. As long as she lives, she can choose to do whatever she chooses to do. The only thing she can't choose is her consequences. That's it. So I would love for you to clean up after you played downstairs. You chose not to do that. Now we're not having as much playtime before bed. You get to make your choice, but here are your consequences. And what we have right now is a bunch of people that make choices and then don't want to deal with the consequences or even worse, a body of believers that think that if they hold someone to a consequence, they're doing something wrong. It's this is, you just brought up all the, the Davids and the Moses. There were consequences. The way you get through that is to learn from those moments and be redeemed and move forward and be better than ever and learning from what you did wrong. And it, it's just, man, it's such a weird process that we're in. Tim, you had something you were going to jump in with there. Yeah, I, I want to say too, when people see this documentary, we have to understand a lot of people are going to look at it and it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy for them. They're going to look at it and see that's that right there. That's why I don't go to church. I'm going to get hurt if I go to church. I got hurt before and it's better if I just stay home. And we have to get out of that mindset because the church is always going to be imperfect. There's always going to be imperfect leaders. The pastor is not the church. The church is the gathering of believers like it was in Acts. It is the ecclesia. It is believers that go and do and not go to be served. And that consumerist culture has led us to believe I have these 10 things I want from a church. If they only give me eight of them, I'm leaving. We have yep. to get out of that mindset. And sure, there is a time and a place to leave a church if there's abuse and misuse. But at the same time, if you just go looking for a perfect church, you're always going to be feel like you are not getting something out of it. It's the same way if you're in a relationship with somebody and you get a, a horrible breakup and then you think I can never go into another relationship because I might get hurt. And if you think about that in a church, I can't go to a church because I might get hurt. Sure, you might get hurt, but what if you find your soulmate, the person you're supposed to be with, and then you end up getting married? So there's a push and pull to both sides. Beautiful. Uh, I was thinking about it. It first starts introspectively, correct? We look at these stories and we look at, okay, what areas in my life are not lining up to what I said? But I also think it's, it's quite a, war, a warning for young church leaders, systems and processes and cultures of yes men and yes women, that if you've heard all the time, John Maxwell says it, any leadership guy you're going to hear for the most part is going to say it, that if your competencies far exceed your character, be careful because you're next. And that's the thing. It, it's a stark warning. Be yep. careful. You're next. And you might not rise to the, the fame of Carl or Brian. But all of a sudden, I know a bunch of guys that are in church leadership of 500 or 250 people, and they just think they are the, the best thing Jesus ever created, okay? And they just think, hey, want, like they've got their own no. kingdom, and they want to live. <laughs> and, and you've seen it, too, in church leadership, where guys 
have these smaller quote unquote churches, but they want to live like they're some of the top brand name pastors and, and they want to live like it. And I think a lot totally. of people like often forget yeah. as well that uh, these guys, Carl and Brian are uh, bestseller New York Times authors as well. So they've got revenue incomes from everywhere. And so everyone, now, do I think the church paid them a lot of money? Yes. Okay. But at the same time, a lot of people can get all upset at church leaders for doing but they are also have all these other separate revenue incomes, but we still have to be smart about it. And so these guys who end up at these smaller churches and smaller churches is a relative term. Okay. That's not like a downplaying term. That's just in, but sure. at the same time, yeah, we uh, get it. They want to live lavishly and just be said yes and have all their uh, needs taken care of. And they want the cars and the shoes and they want these things. And as soon as you think that you're above uh, accountability, as soon as you have no one in your life who's able to come speak into you, and this isn't just church leadership, this is anywhere. Okay, so this is anyone listening to it right now. This is for sure. you that if you think that you will never fall, you're next. That's really good. It's funny that you mentioned the this, like you said, it's perspective, the smaller churches that will, these pastors want to have their own platform and, and think they're bigger than they are or whatever. And I remember taking a position, I'm not going to say where, <laughs> but I took a position at a church. One of the first conversations I had about two months after taking the position, the pastor goes, Hey, right now we're sitting at about, we have 700 some odd people. Do you think there's any chance by October we'll be at a thousand? And I was like, thousand. I was like, like 300 more people by two, two, three months. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. And he goes, yeah, there's a conference in October and they put you at different tables depending on how big your church is and all my buddies that are going to be at this table with a thousand plus churches, I'd really like to be. I was like, okay, never come have a conversation like that with me again, ever. But I will say that was one of the things I noticed about this documentary. Now, Tim, like you brought up, we've got to, we've got to look at it with the lens of how it was su supposed to be received, but it did seem like Brian's main goal and Hillsong's main goal in every department was growth. It was growth. It was more. And, and, and I, I get that to an extent. However, I've just always been a guy that I feel like growth is the byproduct of something you're doing well. And it's not the focus. It's not what you're running after. So like Trevor is, he just launches this thing in 2020 in Texas. And I think that's awesome. But if you're setting goals for growth, like you're working backwards, like we need to set goals for great care systems and set goals for serving and, and set goals for community outreach. And the byproduct of all of that going well is growth. But it seemed like for this documentary, it was like, yeah, we got, we got to, I, <laughs> I have this vision that, that God's sending us to the United States for what purpose? Oh, growth. Well, I have this vision that we're launching more campuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but for what purpose? Oh, growth. It was like, yeah, I don't know. That's like the right level. <laughs> it's like an intentions yeah. conversation though. We all want people to judge us on our intentions, but we end up getting judged on our actions. That could have been his intentions at the start. It might've changed at some point. It might never have changed. Sure. But yeah, to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, I pulled up the definition because I knew we were talking about this of cult. And uh, what the dictionary says is a system of religious veneration and devotion directed towards a particular figure or object. And so that's the dictionary thing. But then if you look from the legal standpoint, I thought this 
was a little telling too. Like the characteristics to look for legally, if you're going to get characterized as a cult, is the group is focused on a living leader to whom members seem to display excessive, zealous, unquestioning commitment. The group is preoccupied with bringing in new members. The group is preoccupied with making money and questioning doubt and dissension are discouraged and punished. So that's the legal definition and episode. That's unbelievable. Yeah, cancer grows too. You know what I'm saying? That's the problems. You, everyone talks about we want growth. Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. Yeah, cancer grows too. Okay, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. if you be unhealthy and weeds grow, come on now. Like, all the things that grow that are not healthy. I got weeds out in my lawn right now. How long it took me to get those things out of there? Hours and hours and hours. And it will take over the healthy grass. Come on, that's a whole other thing right there. The cancer that's it. Yeah, over. And completely destroy the body if you don't keep it checked. So people talk about attendance and they want people, they want numbers and stuff like that. But the difference is, is do you want numbers so you can have butts and seats or do you want numbers because it means people's lives are being changed by the power of God? This lady, I, I talked about this on Sunday. A lady for the first time came up to me and said, hey, pastor, she was not a Christian last year. She had not a Christian last year, hadn't been to church in 20 years, went because her family did, came back to church first time at our church when we launched. She said, hey, I just want to let you know that I heard the voice of God for the first time. And I just, it was amazing. And I stopped for a second. I saw a picture from Sunday of her husband praying for somebody. He was not a Christian. He was praying for somebody. Put his hand on somebody's shoulder and was praying for them. That's the kind of stuff that keeps me going. That's the stuff that I care about. Man, if we don't have anyone coming in, I think it's important to have more people coming because we're reaching more people, right? Sure. Every seat has a person in it. And every person has a name. Every name is a story. It's somebody that God cares about. And they have purpose. And, and this is just a destiny that God has for them. It's incredible. I love seeing more people come, but not at the cost of, of discipleship. Not at the cost of having people growing in their faith. I don't want to grow just so we can have more people there. Because, yeah, because unhealthy things can grow. Too. I think that's something we have to remind ourselves. That's good. Cam said earlier about throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And, and I wanted to continue that thought a little bit because I think this documentary comes out of time in our culture where we've got things like cancel culture going on. We're very politicized. And so it's becoming increasingly difficult as an American to hold two thoughts in her head at the same time. For example, Hillsong did a lot of good. Hillsong made mistakes. And there's like a cultural pull for us to take a stance on it and to be against or for as opposed to being critical in what can I learn? That's not really the American approach right now to, to anything. It's like we, we mentioned before earlier, like once something bad enough happens, yep. it's like, all right, this has to go away uh, forever. And I can't like it anymore. Correct. The Cosby show, for example. What Cosby show? Yeah, that doesn't exist. It got pulled off of every network. It doesn't matter if you enjoyed it when you were a child and it was good, wholesome PG Good stuff. Yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. Black community. No. Except, no, it's over. We can't even mention it. And that makes me nervous as a person who believes in the church, not necessarily a brand, but right. a church, that there might be a cultural tipping point for people where it's like, all right, enough is enough, churches. Right. <laughs> like, until we can't do this church thing anymore until well, you guys get your stuff to that together point. a little bit. Time is the ultimate healer. Louis C.K. five years ago was canceled and he just won a Grammy. So it's, we don't. Yeah. Uh, talking what? about the stuff he got well, canceled for. He was talking about the stuff that he got canceled for. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's an interesting right. thing about how culture is so right. fickle. It just depends on what happens. And over time, there will be some people that will, you know, this is a tipping point for them. 
and they're going to throw the whole thing out. But I also think that God's church is always going to prevail. We are like, like we already battle in victory, right? So there's still battles to fight and there's still people that we've got to continually that like there are certain church leaders who shouldn't be in leadership. We all know that we've all met those people. We've all seen those people and I'm praying God that we will never become those people. But at the same time, there might be a cultural tipping point, simple to like how Malcolm Gladwell in his book talks about, there's a point in time where everything tips over to either to the good or to the negative, right? This is once again, it only reaffirms what people want to believe about the church. And those who have never actually been a part of the church will probably not be a part of one or one like Hillsong. Uh, but to, I mean, to anyone else, I would probably say they're going to ignore this. And, and culture is not going to celebrate pastors anymore uh, as they have, and they're not going to want to lift these pastors up. But there are so many more silent servants who are doing the work of Christ that are going to ultimately win bigger battles than this cultural phenomenon of being a mega church pastor who hangs out with Justin Bieber. And I'm not saying that pastors shouldn't hang out with celebrities. They definitely should because we want to reach people. But if that becomes like your only characteristic to your personality, that's an issue. I, I might say that pastors shouldn't. Uh, it goes back to that old, like, I, my degree's in youth ministry. Like, you should only try to minister to the kids that are popular because they'll bring in the other kids. But if you run down that path, you got a group full of popular kids that don't welcome the other kids. <laughs> and if you try to be a pastor that reaches out to celebrities, you're, you'd be great at pastoring a church full of celebrities. That would be. and you'd That's be, interesting. And to be good at leading a group full of celebrities, you'd have to probably offer some of the services that felt gross in the Hillsong thing with here's the VIP seating section. Jeez. This is where the cool people sit. This is where the limo exits and entrances are for the cool people. This is where their security team lives. Yeah, I think it's just that's where it's like anything you do, any route you take, any decision you decide, like you've you've just got to be really sure in it, but then you've also got to think through it. Yeah, it like on be, multiple levels. It could be like the communion conversation that happened in the epistle where it's, you shouldn't really have some people who eat and some people who don't and right. seats that are for some people and seats that are for other people. Like, I'm not really certain that's a good path to run down. All, that's the temple courts of old, right? That's the holy of holies. That's sure. the inner court. That's the outer court. Like, but I fully recognize that I am not a guy that's ever going to have to challenge that across the bridge. <laughs> right. It's like some guy who doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. Like, I fully acknowledge that. This yeah, me, yeah I'm never going to be a celebrity pastor. Sure. So sure. it's not really something I got to concern myself with. We know what happens when you say never. You <laughs> yeah. <know>? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you heard him, listeners. <laughs> Let's make him famous. No, I love it. Would love to hear your thoughts on one thing that was mentioned in the documentary. Emotional manipulation or a move of God. So being involved in a church... How do we shed light on the difference between emotional manipulation and a move of God? How do we explain that difference to people and help them discern the difference? That's really tough. I thought about in the documentary too, they talked about the volunteers that they said that we get to do this. Or we get to do this on Sunday morning. And I was thinking in my head, like, yeah, if you volunteer at a church, you get to serve, like from a pastor perspective, like that's a good thing. And granted, they misused and abused their volunteers and that's not okay. But at the same time, a lot of the things like when it talks about emotionalism or the fact that you're really into the service, that kind of stuff, you, you want to go away from that now? Like, I don't see 
why that has to be an either or. I think that's a tough line to to follow sometimes. You you don't want to bring people in just on an emotional high without any substance. And I think that's where the American church has fallen into over the years, where you just look for those hands that go up and then you can add to your numbers and the numbers of salvations and you feel really good about yourself. But then there's no depth, there's no discipleship, there's no following up with that person later on. And I think you have to have both. You want people to come to a saving knowledge of Christ, but you also want to make sure that we're running the Christian race. You don't leave them at the starting point. You want to see them through to the finish line. I love that. So let me ask a question, or maybe it's more of a statement. I don't know. I don't know yet. I'm still processing. If it goes up at the end, we'll know. If it goes up at the end, it's a question. (laughs) So what you just said. (laughs) I'm Ron Burgett. It's the best. Oh my goodness. That's got to be somewhere in the podcast. When we are trying to help our congregation understand and our community understand the difference between the emotional side and an actual move of God. I'm with you. We can't just go, all right, guys, from now on, no emotion. So that way, if someone's crying, we know it's God. That's not what I'm saying. And I preface that because someone's going to go all the way there that's listening. And that's They fine. certainly did in the dark. They certainly they were did. like, these chord structures are meant the to cor- make you cry. Yeah, <laughs> chord structures are meant to make you cry. Look, man, I got a background in, in music. Guess what? All chord structures are meant to make you cry. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. But in, in Christian music, there's usually four of them with a moving bass line. So it's really not that complicated. Let's not get crazy, okay? Like Waymaker is the same four chords every time. But if I listen to it, I might cry. Why? There's a moving bass line and there's some strings in the background. Okay, moving on. So is it possible that we should just be taking the time to help our congregation understand it? Like, Like, what would it look like for us to actually take the time to acknowledge and explain what is happening in our services? Because I grew up in in the generation of the, we've got to play a cultural opener before the service even starts to to draw, we got to draw everybody in. What did North Point used to say? Engage, involve, challenge. Draw everybody in. Let's do a Coldplay song and open it up. Okay, cool. So now everybody's drawn in. Okay. But do we ever really talk about why we do that to a first-time guest? No, we just did it. Okay, so now we're going to worship. What does that mean? What does that mean? Because to some people, worship just means we're going to play worship music. And they don't get to the point and the level of understanding the posture. And they don't get to the point of understanding what our praise is connecting with in heaven and where it goes and what it's... So do we take time to explain that? Do we explain it every single week? Do we explain it on social media? How do we do that? And then... My gosh, salvation. Hey, raise your hand on three. Oh, wow. We saw 17 hands come up. Great news. We're not going to follow up with any of you. We're not going to go on the journey with any of you, but we're going to celebrate it on social media. Makes me want to punch everyone in the room in the face. It's unbelievable. We want a structure that has no accountability. And then we go, wow, God's doing amazing things in our church. Actually, I think he'd like to do more. And so, like, how do we... And I'm not saying I have all the answers, but like, how do we go, all right, let's, we've done this down enough. We've allowed the emotion to take part of this enough. We're going to have some really like good understanding throughout the service so that people really understand not only what we're trying to do, which is make God famous and make Jesus known, but also what their posture like how they should be positioned going into worship, during worship, during the message. Like could maybe we've spent all this time thinking that worship needs to be surface and the teaching needs to be deep and biblical and we need to start 
realizing that maybe we need to start teaching the habits that put them into those positions you know, to begin. When you're talking about the emotional, whenever somebody believes in Jesus for the first time, that is an emotional thing. And so we want to be able to create atmospheres and settings where they can become real with themselves. But as I, I was writing this down, and maybe I'm still working through this, it's like the emotional aspect of salvation has to be there. But then every next step after that is an intellectual step. So like getting baptized, like you have to think through that. You could walk people through the Roman road or however else you want to do that. Getting into a group, serving, giving. It's, these are things that people have to process a little bit more deeper. And they all have ties to emotion. Okay, so I'm not saying that when someone gets baptized, they're not going to cry. You've seen that. Um, sure. But when it sure. comes to teaching the habit, similar to what you said, I do that in our student ministry. And, but I let our volunteers do it uh, from stage. Hey, this is why we worship every single weekend. Hey, this is why we worship. We do something here. We call it worshiping in the round. And so we actually don't have a stage. All of our seating is circled uh, in the middle. And so everyone can see one another. Once every four weeks, we sure. describe why we do that. And so we try to help people understand that a little bit more, but that is the point. It's Sunday focused and that's it. And so I've been a part of church and, and, and probably you guys have too, where they're like, man, we had 5,000 salvations last year and 250 baptisms. It's like, where's the discrepancy? It's like, why is that? Like, why do you have a, like, I don't. I... Well, okay, let's just settle it. Let's just settle it right now. Let's just settle it right now. I want everybody to answer this. So let's just go nationwide, every church nationwide. If you had to put a scale one to 10 on how good churches are with follow-up from one step to another, what would your number be? Joe, you want to lead that? I'll go last. I, I was, all right, I'll just be true to my first thought. Go. Two. So two. Put, Cam, what about you? You know, experiences aside, but nationally, yeah, probably two to three. Okay, Tim? That's really tough to quantify among all the denominations. It uh, totally is. Uh, it's an unfair question with total bias. <laughs> okay. And also, what does discipleship look like quantitatively? I, mean, I can't say it. Man, I'm tough. And it's not like I'm held to this number. So let's just say five. <laughs> cool. Trevor? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say four. Somewhere around there. Yeah. We have built yeah, processes, but it's not anywhere near where it should. Sure. And again, not just you. This is everybody. Like, I'm going... Yeah. I'm I'm going right there, like two, three, four, like that. All those, are, you know, five. Like, sure, we can go to five. Like the fact is, though, as the church, we're there to care for people, we're there to disciple people, we're there to help you walk your journey. So we're here to help you walk your journey, which has several steps in your journey, and we suck at getting you from one step to another. I just want to repeat it: we're a church to help you, and this is capital C Church, get throughout your journey and reach potential or get as close to it and, and see God do great things through you, which includes many steps along the way, and we are terrible from getting you from step to step. However, we will 100%, you'll see it in two weeks, we'll 100% go on social media and celebrate all the amazing things that God did at Easter, all the salvations, all the baptisms, all the first time guests. And that's great. I'm not saying that there's no part like to be done in that. That's fine. And I make those posts too. I get it. It's exciting. But at some point, the hoorah, the I'm so excited for this sermon series we're starting this Sunday, that whole thing, dude, it's played out. It's been 25 years. 
you've you, there's not a sermon title you can throw at me right now that just makes me go wow i've got to be there there's not a sermon series you can throw at me where i go oh my god he put two words that start with the same letter together i can't miss this there's nothing you can do anymore so we've just i'm sorry i'm so passionate about it, but we've just got to do better and i so, want to see us do better i think another way of saying what you're articulating is that we apparently have devoted much more time to get better at the top of our sales funnel than we have to our conversion rate. Yeah, that's a really, yeah, that's, that, that's it. So that's gonna, it. I want to play devil's advocate and I'm Please curious, do. curious on your thoughts. So how much of this is on the church versus the, the motivation of the church goers to get involved in things that are available, like small groups, like serving, like these types of things versus the people that want to come to church sneak in, not say anything to anybody, and then leave as quick as they entered. Maybe they'll even skip worship because they just want to hear the sermon. Like, how do you reach those people? Is that really the, the problem of the church when they have things offered to them that they don't want to be involved in? So I think that's a great question. And first of all, yeah. I'm always game for devil's advocate. This is my favorite game. All right. So here's what I'll say. Yeah. Here's what I'll say to that. Um, sure, there is responsibility on the congregation. Sure, there's responsibility on people not having to have their hand held, being big boys and girls, and going, oh, in order to serve, I want a t-shirt, and I don't want to serve every other week, and I only want to serve once every other month, and that seems like really early to get there. I get all that, and I've heard all of that, but here's the facts. People will do anything to get to a place they see value in. So I'll give you an example. Has everyone in, in this podcast, has everyone sat in a line at Chick-fil-A longer than 20 minutes in the drive-thru? I have. Why? Every other fast food place is faster. Every single well, one. There's God's, no debate. Sure. Come it's God's chicken. Right? It's God's chicken. So, it's, so we do that because why? There's value. The Coke Zero costs more expense, is more expensive than McDonald's. I still go there. The Nuggets, my kids don't like the Nuggets any better than McDonald's. In fact, McDonald's has the Happy Meal, and they crush Chick-fil-A when it comes to toys. Like, Chick-fil-A gives out books to my four-year-old. She's like, what is this? You know, Great McDonald's. Ice cream. <laughs> exactly. So my point is, I'm not saying that all responsibility goes on the church. It can't be that. It can't be that because they, then that requires them to be perfect, and, and we know that can't happen. However, I do think the overwhelming majority of responsibility is on the church because it's their job to communicate the why. It's their job to build value. And what I'll also say to that is the reason that I think people are like that is because we've allowed them to be. Yeah. And I know me specifically, I've had a season in my ministry where I was a handholder. I felt bad for everybody and I would hold your hand and I would so, I just wanted you to get involved. And so I would break my back and I would put off time with my family and I would do everything I could so that you would be happy. And I would have some volunteers that served every other week and some that would serve every other month and some that would get there at some time and some that would get there at other because I just didn't want you to be upset and I just wanted you to experience Christ moving and working through you and what I didn't realize is that I should have just had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them and said, this is why I want you to serve. This is why God wants you to serve. If you get here at this time, which is how we hold everybody to the standard, great, I'll see you then. If not, then it's not your season to serve. And that's okay. But I think the majority of the responsibility, Tim, I've got I've to put it on myself as a leader. I've got to put it on the church to build value and also build understanding of why as Christians, especially in this culture, 
we cannot be these lukewarm, these, uh, if it fits my schedule, it, that season, that era, that is done. It is over unless we want my children to grow up and be just as weak-minded. Yep. 10 out of 10 for that answer. Love it. Thank you. I just imagine, thank you for the question. I imagine when you were talking, like some weird far side comic scenario where a shepherd gets called in for a job evaluation and he's like, how'd I do this quarter? And his boss is sitting him down to tell him how he did. And he's like, you lost like a bunch of sheep, man. Not so good. And he's like, they wander off. They're crazy. Like they don't listen. They don't. And he's like, that's why, why I hired you. You knew that coming in. You knew it coming that's in. what sheep I, do. Yeah. Right. Trevor, did you, you have something? Like, Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll try better. I was just going to say one thing. I posted the other yeah, day saw the video about being hurt. Obviously, this is what this podcast focuses on. That's actually what connected us, which I love. I love this is the first face to face me and Trevor have ever had. It's the first face to face Tim and I have ever had, but Tim and I have yeah. kind of known about each other a little longer. But I saw Trevor on TikTok and he, his video <laughs> that he's about to talk about, like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what we've been discussing. Sorry, go ahead. Dude, no, it's all good. I thought it was so cool when I started looking into your podcast after you reached out to me because I'm like, man, this is exactly like you said, what you are focused on. And in my Instagram caption, I didn't put this on TikTok, but on my Instagram caption of that, I, I said this one thing and I had three different things that if my integrity ever falls beneath what it should be as a pastor, I pray that God would demote me. And if our services don't aren't marked by the presence and the power of God every Sunday, to just cancel. I don't want it. I don't want it. And then the last thing that I put in there that I thought was something that's really been resonating within me is if our church ever outgrows our ability to care for people, then I will pray for God to shrink it. Seriously, I really will. And I do, I think about that because I'm thinking if we can't properly care for the people that we have, then I don't want a larger church or at least God, would you give us a system? Would you give us people yep. and give us a way to properly care for these? Lord, just stop the growth. This is great. We love it. We want more people to be here. We want people to be saved. But until we can follow up with them and walk through them, this process, that's a problem with churches that grow so rapidly sometimes is they just grow so rapidly and so fast. They don't even have processes in place yet to handle that growth. And, and so I enjoy the slow and steady climb that we've had so far because we're able to keep up with that. It's just sustainable pace. And so the churches that do go quickly, I, I don't know how they do it. It's gotta be, I mean, if we ever outgrow our ability to care for people and either shrink it or give me a way to care for them better, because I don't want people to be left through the cracks. I just don't want that. It can't happen because there's too many people good. looking around this coffee shop. I know your story. You've been hurt. I know that barista over there that's been hurt by the church and now they're not going to church. I know this guy that's sitting over there and I'm sitting with a guy in front of me saying, I don't want to be hurt. I don't, he said, I sit in the back of churches now and I, and I look at the pastors and I don't trust. Them. And he said, I don't want to be that guy. And that was sure. so impactful to me. He said, I don't want to be like that, but I am. And to be honest, for me, it's sure. like, bro, I get it. Like, I understand, dude. Like, after telling me the story that he told me, I'm like, honestly, if you never went back, I get it. Do I want you to go back? Yes, of course. I want you to find a family of people that you can worship with and be in community with. Because I think that's biblical. It's an important uh, concept. But that's why I love this podcast is hope after hurt. There is hope. There is a community of people that you can get involved in. There's people that have been through some of the same things. There are good pastors out there. There are good churches out there that will care for you uh, through the hardest of times. But what does that system look like? Because I think pastoral, you know, sometimes they get thrown on the small groups. We'll say, what if they're not in a small group? Or like, what if, and then on the other side, you get the people that just show up, like kind of to 10 point, and you get people that come for a few weeks, 
never fill out a connect card, never get involved in anything. And then something tragic happens in their life and no one reaches out to them and they leave and say they were hurt by the church. And they're like, no one ever reached out sure. to them. You never got involved. But so it's like, but yeah, living in that tension, I think it's a good question. It's a good question to ask. Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to care for someone who's not participating. Yeah. And Tim, that may have been like what you were speaking to as yeah. well. There, there's if, listen, if a person is not participating, okay. I, I love using family analogies because I'm, listen, I'm just really big that the church yeah, needs to. Don't say to that word. Don't say the F word. I think we learned not like a family. Don't say that word. But what I'm saying is not, <laughs> not a family in the sense that we don't report things. What I mean though that is. That family is like, it has a mafia. That family's more of a like mafia sense, right? <laughs> we keep it in the family. We deal with things as a family. But my point is, listen, if my daughter never comes to the dinner table when I say it's dinner time and mom made your food, right? and then we put the food away and you want dinner, I think you're missing it. When I say dinner time, it's dinner time. It's time to eat. So if you come to church, again, consumer religion, and you're just ch chilling in the back row and you leave early and you've never told us who you are, and then heaven forbid, like you've got a family member that dies or something like that. Yeah, I didn't reach out. Sorry about that, but I don't know who you are and what's going on. And, and you didn't really set yourself up or give me an opportunity to set ourselves up. Yeah. But at the that. same time, what if that complaint or that person or that story that we hear over and over again is not saying, what if that complaint is coming from the standpoint of all you care about is the top of the funnel? That there might be something to that. Then you better be able to back it up. You better be able to come in and say, no, Trevor was just talking about. Like, no, we don't. Look at our system of care. Look at how we structure our stuff. Here it is on a PowerPoint. Here it is on this. But but it, that person you know, in telling that story isn't going to be like, oh, I didn't know that. They're going to be like, I tried that and it didn't work. Well, that's a problem. Yeah. Then you <laughs> then you want to start with, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's how that works. You want to start with, I'm sorry, and you want to try to rebuild the relationship. And that, look, that happens too. Did you know that Drew's family can help you with shipping, printing, packing, shredding, branding, and every ing imaginable? That's right, they own three of the UPS stores in North Carolina. If you're near the city of Cary or the Clayton, North Carolina area, please make sure you stop into your local, the UPS store, and say yes to local family-owned business. Look, I could give you examples literally every week of someone who's in a tough spot that sends me a message between 1030 p.m. and midnight that I don't chat up on the phone because of what time of day it is. You're going to you're going to have some demanding people and you're not going to be able to be everything to everyone all the time. And so what you hope for is a lot of grace. And, but I think that comes with talking about it. I think that comes with just being honest, like God, regardless of what position you're holding at a church. Hey, everyone, I'm not perfect and I'm going to make mistakes and you're going to make mistakes. And so here's what I promise. I'll fight for you. And I will love you and I will do my best. And what I want in return, I just want you to fight for me and love on me and do your best. And together we're going to try to accomplish great things and God's going to do great things through us. And that's it. Like, stop trying to take yourself so seriously and, and stop trying to have everybody else take you so seriously. Just be honest. We're human beings. At the end of the day, we suck sometimes. And, and so we've just got to figure out how to be better together. All right. So let's move forward. Trevor, you mentioned we need to have hope. So I, I think that's a good point to transition a little bit. After someone hears this documentary or even this podcast, how can they have hope for the future in ministry? 
Are you talking specifically those who go to a church or those in ministry itself? When a lot of people talk about ministry, it's mostly people are working at a church or volunteering at a high level. So there's that hope. Okay, how can I have hope of my leaders or my systems and processes versus how can I have hope to trust the church again? How can I have hope to trust that this church is going to do what's best for the kingdom, not necessarily what's best for their name? And there's several different things. I hope, as I was hearing about this, that this allows people to understand pastors better and understand and be more aware of what type of church they're attending. For me, it's, okay, are we going to a character-based cultural personality church that is run based off of the guy speaking up there? Or are we, which sometimes, and a lot of times those guys reach a lot of people, but they also can hurt a lot of people. I, you look at Carl, and I thought one of the, the, the great things that this pointed out was when he kept talking about purity, 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 like all the time, right? This allowed people, and I know this because I'm a communicator. You guys know this because you're communicators. It's most communicators either communicate out of their heart, what they're passionate about, or they're hurt. And so Carl was constantly speaking towards his hurt because he wasn't pure before. And he, and all of a sudden now, 15 later, this happened. And so I had three questions and it's a keen ear. And this is the hope I have is that people can begin to actually be, see through the personality and, and look at the person who's communicating. Because some people are like, I never saw this ever happening. And I'm over here, 15 states over. Like I saw this years. It's, yeah, of course. This was a fire. So I have three questions, especially when it comes to the heart of your pastor versus the hurt of your pastor. And, and you're going to have to decide. You're going to have to have those conversations. Uh, when they're speaking, what are they saying? What are they saying over and over again? So the two differences I, I saw here was Carl continually talks about purity and sex all the time. That came from his hurt. Then you look at Robert Morris in, at Gateway. He talks about giving and that comes from his heart. That's a passionate thing because he believes in the power of it. And so they're saying a lot of the things over and over again. The next thing is, okay, what are they not saying? What, what does your church never bring up? What do they never talk about? Do they never talk about sex? Do they never talk about money? Do they never talk about anger issues? Do they never talk about lust, like temptation? Do they never talk about those things? Well, then all of a sudden we have to figure out, okay, why is that? And then the third question is, what have they stopped saying? And, and, and that question is one where it goes, um, if they have stopped saying something that they have been talking about a lot and passionate about, they might be in a season where they're struggling with that one specific thing. You used to speak about alcohol and you don't anymore, right? You used to speak about pornography or temptation and you don't anymore. You used to speak about giving and you don't anymore. And so a lot of the times when pastors stop speaking on those things, it's because they are secretly hurting and they might not have people around them to help them. And so I just hope that this is an opportunity for the congregation to look at it as not only is my pastor pastoring me, I should be somebody and I should be a group of people as a congregation to go and help and partner with my pastor to care and love them as well and actually be able to help edify him as he and the staff edify the church as well. That's great. Thanks, Cam. That's really good. Tim, what about you? How can we have hope for the future? Our hope for the future lies in Jesus Christ. He is our hope of eternity, our present help for today. And our hope is not in building our foundation in the church. Our foundation is again, Jesus. And so I think we have to have that perspective because the church will fail you. People will fail you. Jesus will never fail you. And the hurt from church is very real, but also understand the tension that we live in church is 
how God designed us to be in a place where we have to love. We're commanded to love so many times in the Bible. If it was so easy to do, we wouldn't be commanded. Jesus wouldn't have to hit us over the head. Love God and love others, please. God, this is what I, uh, this is my prayer for you in John is that you would love, you would be unified, you would be one. But right after Jesus left, look at right. all the problems right. in Acts, in Corinthians, uh, between Peter and Paul, for goodness sake, right? This has uh, happened in the early church and it still happens today. And we're not going to fix it. It's not going to be fixed, I think, until we are in the kingdom where we are unified as one. And so how can you serve? How can you be a part of giving light to the community you're in? Because the church is God's answer to the world and it's the sin of the world. The problem is not Hillsong or megachurches per se. The problem is sin. And sin can creep yes. up in a megachurch. It can creep up in a church of 30 people where the pastor falls in a small church. And so we have to deal with the sin problem that Jesus called to freed us from. And we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, alive and active in our life. And as leaders, we have to model that. Love that answer. So earlier you gave me a 10 out of 10 on an answer. I'm going to give you a 10 out of 10 <laughs> yeah. back. Great job. Trevor, what about you, man? Yeah, that's good stuff, Tim, for real. Man, I would just want to piggyback off of that. That was partially what I wanted to say. The only verse that I was thinking of. Seven out of seven. The only verse that I should crash to that is, is Jesus said he will build his church. It's not on you. It's, it's not on you. It's not on me. Of course, we're partnering with the Holy Spirit. I'm free with God. And I'm grateful that we get to be a part of that. We get to do this, right? We get to be a part of this process that God has chosen to bring the hope of Jesus to the world. And yeah, we're going to mess up, but you know what? One son, one sin, one failure, it's not going to be the end of the church. It's not going to be the end of you as a pastor. So I'm talking more to pastors right now. And then to people on that side of it, how can they have hope for the future? I think this podcast is one example of how people can have hope for the future. Somebody like my friend who I, I would really hope, and I might even send him this later. These are pastors and guys, we're having a genuine, real conversation about how we suck and how we mess up sometimes. The church is not perfect. And I think people are craving that right now. People are craving just some actual, genuine authenticity, not like the authenticity that we talk about from the stage, not like accountability that we say that we have, but actual accountability, actual authenticity. Saying, hey, I don't know the answer to this question, but we're going to talk about it. How can we get better? And, and there's people out there, there are churches out there that will love you, that will care for you. And so I think that's it for me, sitting down with my friend at the coffee shop and just having that conversation with him. I think that's what gives people hope is just saying, Hey, you know what? I don't have the answers and I'm so sorry you were hurt, but healing comes in its own time. Don't try to rush it. Man, God's for you. He has a plan for you. And if you don't come back to church for two or three more, if you never come through the doors of my church ever, which they don't attend our church, you never come to my church, man. I just want you to know I'm your friend. I'm here for you. Uh, and there's a pastor yeah. out there. That, that's the stuff that changes people's lives. Absolutely. I love that. Up, so I have one at the end because you, he pulled up. Yeah, eight eight out he, mentioned this, he mentioned eight. this podcast. So. <laughs> that's true. So it's easily eight or nine out of 10. No doubt about that. I want to do one fun question and then I have one final one. So the fun one first, if you were featured on preachers and sneakers today, if you were featured and those of you that have seen the documentary, you know why I'm asking this question, but if you were featured on preachers and sneakers today and someone took a picture of your sneakers and put them on Instagram, what would, what would they what be I'm wearing? Oh man, I would not be wearing. Yeah, the shoes you're wearing right now. They're, they're Velcro. <laughs> they're not even tied. Nikes. <laughs> Velcro. I don't. 
The Velcro, I don't know Nikes from Cam. What about their Indy Ridge armored uh, motorcycle shoes? Baller. Resale. Those have got to be at least 1700 <laughs> I think they're... Uh, Pretty sure I saw those at Nordstrom. I think they were 150 <laughs> They were most, my most expensive shoes. There you go. That's awesome. I love it. Tim, what about you? I have some old man shoes that are orthopedic for my plantar fasciitis, so it's very unsexy, but very comfortable. That's awesome. Just the insoles alone are at least $500. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. Trevor, what about you, bud? Man, I'm wearing some, some low top Adidas right now with my dad's light right now. That's a question I ask myself. Yeah. At what level, at what amount of money am I allowed to have shoes? I asked that question the other day to my buddy. It's like, if I ever have $2,000 sneakers on, you just slap it. That's a good number. Just leave my chair. Yeah. Yeah. If you put on a pair of shoes and on the front, there's a big gold Gucci label. That's probably the moment somebody in your yeah, corner. If they're more expensive like, hey, than the man, cars. Uh, I think we need to talk. So I think the answer to that question is, I, I think the answer to what level will you get in trouble with your sneakers is there was a guy locally, I went to a, a conference thing and a pastor was talking about wages. And he said, I really figured out the answer to the question is how much a pastor should make and not offend anybody. And he said, the answer is right. not more than me. Not more than me. That's 100% correct. That's, that's what people are comfortable with. So right. as long as your pastor's shoes are not nicer than theirs, there you fine. go. Yeah. It really is funny because there's not really a limit. I'm wearing, I've got Adidas boost. These are the 22s. They're like 190 bucks. I mean, they're expensive tennis shoes. But I don't know what, everybody's view is different. There's a level. Yeah. I thought the Hillsong doc was pretty interesting. There is a level that's hard to argue against. Somebody made a really good point earlier that the doc didn't cover at all, which is they had revenue streams that justified these purchases right. and that might not have been at all church funds. Let's say Carl Lenz bought a house and it went up in value $300,000 over totally. a couple of years, which totally. is very practical. It could sure. happen. But I think- And yeah. then he went and bought one sweatshirt. Wore it all the time. My problem dude. is when he took off that sweatshirt, like that Joe Rogan quote, that's what made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Dude is absolutely ripped up. Not that's the problem. It's just that that's the- No, I have, no I'm just jealous about that. I have no problem with him being ripped, but like that picture, every time I see it, I'm like, I wish I was like that. So let's dive into one last question for each of you. I want to start with Tim. Tim, you're an author. You mentioned earlier, you're a podcaster, you're a pastor. You seem to be using your influence in every direction you possibly can. How can our listeners take a step in gaining a perspective of using what influence they have? That's a great question. And that's what people desire now is to be an influencer. And as a Christian influencer, I hate the term, honestly, but we still have to understand that we are called not to build our kingdom, but God's. And we have influence. Everybody has influence uh, and not everyone uses it for God. Not everyone uses it for good. So in our world of social media followers, likes, and viral videos, it's important to keep the focus on obedience to God first and foremost. If you're results-driven and not obedience-driven, you will be disappointed and even depressed. If God calls you to preach a message to 10 people and you think it should be a 1,000, can you be content with just, just preaching to those 10 people? God cares more about your heart than he does the results. It's no different than when we preach the gospel. We scatter the seeds and let the Holy Spirit do the work. So we need to seek first the kingdom of God and let the Holy Spirit deal with the results. Any influence we have apart from Christ is fleeting, temporal, and unsatisfying, but also don't diminish your influence. Use it. You have all the skill you need to do what God is calling you to do. Don't make excuses, make disciples. I love it. I got to get the I love it. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate that perspective. Trevor, you're a lead pastor in Texas. Yeah, it's unbelievable. That was a great response. Trevor, 
You're a lead pastor. You're crushing it out in Texas. And, and again, I just want to say like anybody that, that doesn't know about you, like y'all should figure out a way to support these guys, Tim, Cam, Trevor, everybody. Let's get on social media. Let's do what we can to connect with them, to thank them for their time. I'm definitely not paying them for their time today. And this is just, they like me want you as listeners, want you to get better. We want to all get better. And so they're giving of their time. So listen, you're a lead pastor. What's one thing that you're hoping your congregation holds on to that will lead to great influence? Okay, hold on. I thought that well, we were getting paid in these. Are we not? I thought, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I must have missed that text. <laughs> I'll have my agent. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah. No, one thing our congregation should hold on to Man, I would just say, just never lose your love for people. Just never lose sight of that it's all about people. And people have to be the priority and something that God convicted me of, even in myself, as we were looking, even as a young church, we're not even two years old yet. And I've already been looking for property for our first building. Um, it's awesome. Asking the Lord if that's something that we need to do and take a step in and the Lord and my spirit so quickly and he said remember it's about people not property and i had to remind myself of that and so i think if we as a church and our congregation can just continue to love people well care for people well and be humble throughout this whole process of growth that our church is so we've never had any drama in our church so far and i say that i knock on wood right but seriously we have it and the reason is as I talk about it, I say, hey, listen, you have a problem with somebody, don't you dare come talk to me about it first. You better go talk to them. And if you start talking right. to me about it, I'm going to tell you to shut up and go talk to them. And until you do that, <laughs> then you can come talk to me about it. If you want to get some advice, that's cool. But then I'm going to tell you, go talk to them. Because the point is that we're all messed up, imperfect people. But man, if we continue to love one another, Jesus summed it up, two commands, love God and love one another. If you get those things right, you're going to be on track. So that's what I'm teaching my people. Love that. Love that. Sounds like they're in good hands, man. Congrats. Cam, listen, man, you do a lot at Journey Church, but one thing that, that you're doing right now is you're over student ministry. God bless you. What does the next generation need from our church leaders moving forward? That's a good question. I'll probably have to lay a little bit of foundation before I can get to the two things that come to my mind. Uh, the first thing is... It sounds like something you would do. Church leaders have to start playing offense and not defense. And so for a lot of the times we wait for people to come to us, we have to go to them. And that goes in almost every area of, of what we do. That comes with Sunday mornings, that comes in our preaching, that comes in our teaching. I thought of this idea the past couple of weeks, I've been thinking through it, is the idea of a lot of us just do a lot of prevent preaching. We don't preach to win, we preach not to lose in, in our culture in these moments. And so what I'm finding is that students are heavily influenced by everything and everyone. Right. And they are just like that boat in the ocean that is being tossed around left to right, not knowing what to believe. And specifically when they go on to TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat or with their friends, uh, they have certain influencers in their life that begin to help shape them uh, to have a specific worldview that is almost predominantly anti-church and almost predominantly anti-truth. They are just being inundated with day in and day out. And so as church leaders and specifically student pastors, or if you serve in a student ministry, students need two things. Uh, they need the truth and they need authenticity because no one is authentic on social media. I don't care who you are. You know what? No way. Dude, I posted a thing about the Hillsong no. thing on my social media, which is one of the first times I've ever done something like that. 
Dude, I went and reread it like 15 times to make sure I don't, I didn't spell anything wrong. Yep. And I even put it through Grammarly because it's, I'm a terrible speller. People know that I get in trouble for it all the time. No <laughs> one's true. And these carefully crafted Instagram or TikToks that are happening that attack the church or attack truth or attack what the Bible says. And so what we end up doing in student ministries and in kids ministries is we just simply say, oh, you know what? Don't do this or don't do that. No, it's like, hey, this is what you're facing. Let's be honest about it. This is what is actually happening. That's one of the things I love yeah, about a great. lot of the churches coming out of COVID. The ones that grew the most, for the most part, not all, the ones that grew the most were unafraid of taking on culture and unafraid of taking on the devil's lies and speaking truth to it and then challenging those thought processes and worldviews that people have. Because that's what Jesus came to do. Like he challenged what everyone thought they knew about the Old Testament. And he said, no, everything that you thought is being flipped upside down. And so we have to have a group of people and a bunch of church leaders that are unabashedly, uh, unafraid of speaking the truth. And they don't care about the consequences of cancel culture. Because when they do that, now we have to do it in love, obviously. Okay. It's great. Uh, that, that goes to, I'm not just going to go smack someone with the Bible and say, believe. Sure. Uh, and at the same time, you have to be authentic. And so you can't be who you're not because students more than anyone can smell that crap out pretty quickly uh, and, and they're going to call you out on it. And what yeah. the next generation needs is the truth. And Jesus said it, the truth will set you free. And so they're bounded by all these ideas and ideologies. Well, let's, let's focus them on Jesus and the truth and move forward from there and play offense, not defense. I, I was great. thinking, Drew, I actually have a question for you. It's really great. So I had a friend ask me this the other day, and I thought it'd be a perfect question to ask you is that as we look to the future of the church globally, if there was one thing that you could say would be the downfall of the church globally, or even maybe just in the American context, what do you think that one thing would be? Doing what's best for the organization's CEOs instead of honest pastors. Because here's the facts. You want to start a business? You want to be an entrepreneur? Quite honestly, I could argue these days it's easier to start a church than it is to start a business. And if you're a good communicator and you love Jesus, it's a good route to go. And I think when we get into this concept, and look, guys, it is so much fun to be a CEO. It's awesome. Like, it's awesome to, to pretend that you're a Fortune 500 company. Think about how much fun Brian Houston must have been having traveling the world and every place he walks in, the amount of honor and respect is unbelievable. And everyone has a question for him and he must know everything. And I, like, dude, that is just, you're living the dream. You're living the dream. You're living the cultural dream. And what we have to remember is that we are first pastors. And every room you walk into, you, you can be the size of a company, but you are first a pastor before you're a CEO. You can go talk to a room full of CEOs, but you are first a pastor before you're a CEO. I'm not saying you have to be in one box, but your box does have levels. And from a level of priority, you are held to a standard as a pastor. And so what I think we need, and you touched on this, we need a group of honest leaders. And I'm weird honest. Like I need you to get on stage and say stuff that no one's ever heard at a business meeting. I need you to talk about your budget as if the people that you're talking to helped provide the budget. Like I need you standing and, and talking in your message as if God's still working on your heart while you're trying to right. uh, allow him to work through you to the heart of others. And, and I need that level of honesty from a group of leaders. What I don't need is let's just do what's best for the organization's CEOs. I don't need that. 
And, and I don't think the next generation needs that. I don't think the world needs that because we have plenty of CEOs. You want to learn from Simon Sinek? You want to learn from Gary Vaynerchuk? You want to learn from those guys? Great. They have great stuff that can allow you to understand leadership, but you should not aspire right. to be them, but in a church. You're a pastor. So go be an honest, loving, caring, do your best, but under all humility, understanding you are a broken individual pastor and stop trying to be, stop trying to be some sweep it under the rug, do what's best for the organization and do what's best for the cause CEO. And I think that's what the future needs. Listen, guys, I can't thank you enough. Cam, Tim, Trevor, Joe, I can't thank you guys enough for being part of the podcast. Thank you to all everyone who's listening. Thank you to everyone who's sharing this, subscribing, putting this out on social media. Again, don't forget our t-shirt giveaway. All you have to do is share this podcast and tag me in the post on any social media platform. And that's going to put you in to the competition, into the drawing for a free t-shirt. Thank you so much again for listening. And until the next episode, keep saying yes to what God has next. Thanks for listening to Hope After Hurt. If you enjoyed this episode or found it useful, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend. Join the Yes Community on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Yes Community. On Instagram at yesco underscore immunity. TikTok at Drews Barker. And for show notes, visit the website at yes.transistor.fm. This show is produced, edited, and engineered by Podcast Carrot. Thanks for listening.